Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John um, chapter 21. We are in a series about Jesus' final days. And um, last week, of course, we um, spoke about the resurrection. And um, this is the last message in that series. And we're going to look at um, the encounter that Christ had and focus really on His encounter with Peter here in this passage. You know, as we see Peter's life, there's so much we can relate to. Um, But like Pastor preached this morning, his life and his ministry um, was a product and would be a product of God's grace in his life. And we're just going to kind of look at some of the circumstances um, that surrounded um, that final encounter with Christ um, here in this passage. So let's just read. um, Go ahead and stand with me if you would. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, it says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. Now this is where it started for Christ. His ministry um, started in Galilee. And and here he is wrapping it up um, in Galilee as well. It says, There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael, and Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. So seven total. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they said unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. He said unto them, Cast thy net on the other side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of the fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat on him, for he was naked and cast himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land. It was 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. As soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals, and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus said, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. For all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. So when he had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Let's look for in prayer this evening. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for um, just the testimony here of Peter's life. Lord, as we wrap up your earthly ministry, we see this encounter and and this challenge that you pose to Peter. And I pray tonight that we could accept that challenge, that we would understand, Lord, you see things. You see potential where we don't. Lord, you have ministry for us to accomplish. You have things you want us to do. Lord, that maybe we think we are not fit to accomplish. 
But Lord, you're, you're entrusting your work into our hands. And Lord, I pray tonight we'd accept that challenge. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here we are. Christ was crucified. His, his disciples had scattered. Um, they came, the resurrection had taken place. They had received the word, the testimony that Jesus was written, and now they're assembled. And, and Christ is making these appearances. In the 40 days after His re resurrection, Christ is confirming His power over death to His disciples, first of all, and to His followers. And then He's reaffirming their faith. You think about how shaken their faith was at the crucifixion. You think about how devastating that was to the visions, the hopes that they had um, for their ministry and for their lives and for their future to see Christ crucified. And so now they're kind of in recovery mode and Christ is ministering to them. Over those 40 days before His ascension, He was helping them. He was meeting them where they were at. He was, he was meeting their needs. He was, he, was, he was affirming their faith. He was helping them understand their future and His plans that they thought were completely dashed and destroyed at the crucifixion. He concludes this period with His ascension. And so just for a few minutes, let's just kind of review these 40 days. As I studied, it was amazing to me everything that took place in those 40 days. It kind of leaves your head spinning if, if you just consider it. So I just want you to think about from the resurrection, everything that took place. You go back one passage, one chapter to John chapter 20, and you look at um, verse 1. It says, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, early when it was yet dark, um, unto the, came unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. So what does she do? She runs and she gets Peter and John. They come running. They're charging. What's going on? Uh, they could have, they're probably, their mind was racing. They could have imagined all kinds of awful things that had taken place. They get there and um, John, the more cautious one, runs up. He, he was in a hurry. He gets there. He kneels down. He looks inside and sees the linen clothes lying there folded. And his mind, what, what's going on here? And Peter, he comes, he doesn't have any of that um, caution or deliberation. He just runs right into the tomb. He's like, the tomb's open, I'm going in, where's Jesus? And he sees the linen clothes lying there, folded, signifying that Christ was going to come back. That, that he didn't just, he wasn't, his body wasn't stolen. No, he left that that tomb. He walked out of there. He left those grave clothes behind. He had risen from the dead. In, in verse 8, you go on and, and you look at this. In verse 7, it says, "...in the napkin that was about the head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went and also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed." In this encounter, their faith was strengthened. They realized, wait a sec, this isn't the end of the story. Everything that Christ said is true. He is risen. Well, Mary Magdalene wasn't ready to leave. She wasn't going anywhere. She was still distraught. The Bible says she was still there crying. In verse 11 it says, But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping. Her questions hadn't been answered. Her faith wasn't fully satisfied. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked at the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Verse 14, And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Verse 15, And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? 
She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him. I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. What did Christ do? He came and he met her needs. He affirmed her faith. The first two disciples saw what they needed. They had their answer. They left to go to tell the other disciples, He's risen, He's gone. Mary didn't have that insight. Her faith hadn't been satisfied. Her faith, she, didn't, she had questions that weren't answered. And because she was hanging around there at the tomb, what did Christ do? He came and He showed Himself to her. He met her spiritual needs. He helped her. He answered her questions. In Luke chapter 24, word's starting to get around. And the disciples know, and these two men are walking down the road to Emmaus, and Christ appears to them. He talks to them. Further confirms the resurrection is true. And these men came to understand that. What they do? They ran, and they found the disciples. Hey, this is, this is amazing. You won't believe what just happened. We just saw Christ. You know, Christ comes, He appears in the upper room, or in the room with the disciples in John chapter 20, verse 19. The disciples are assembled without Thomas. He appears to them again, confirming their faith. He appears again in John 20 later and reaches out to Thomas. All these things to affirm what they believe, to affirm the truth that He was victorious over death. You think about it, these, the, the frenzy that's kind of building here, the excitement, the enthusiasm, their faith has been confirmed, their belief is now sight. Um, what Christ said, he, he delivered on. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, Paul writes that Jesus appeared over 500 to 500 brethren at various times. I, I was just in my mind, I'm imagining, I'm kind of reading, trying to follow all these appearances and things. I'm thinking the disciples had to be getting together and saying, hey, did you see him here? Who Did you hear about that? 500 times. There's, the word is getting out now that Christ is alive, that he has risen, um, that there's something be, for them to be bold about and to be excited about and to share with others. And, and they're getting together. They're comparing notes. They're trying to put all the pieces together. I can just picture all the nerds getting together, trying to piece this all together and understand where, well, the studious ones, let's call it that, the studious ones, putting, putting their notes together and comparing, where did you see Christ? Oh, man, I saw him over here. Oh, wait a second. He spoke to me there. Oh, wait, did you, did you talk to, here, Mary, did you hear about that? She actually saw Jesus, and this is what he said. And, and they're excited about that. At the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus had told his disciples, I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to meet up with you in Galilee. And then Matthew 28, he reaffirms that in verse 10, and then verse um, 16 and 17, he says, this is where I want you to go. So that's what they did. Shortly after all these encounters in Jerusalem, they head up to Galilee. And that's where we see the disciples here in chapter 21, where it started, Christ's home place where the first miracles took place in Cana of Galilee. Now Christ is back there again to, to meet His disciples. The last time we see Christ is in the Mount of Olives. In Acts chapter, 9, verse, or Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, we see Jesus with the disciples, where, where the ascension takes place. All these encounters, all these miracles, all these appearances of Christ to prove who He was. He was victorious over death. That He was able to forgive sins. That He was able to deliver us in our place of need. Each of these interactions were Christ's thoughtful, loving encounters with His disciples. 
and all of his followers to confirm his deity, to confirm who he was. But who needed confirmation the most? You think about his disciples. Who was the most outspoken? Who had maybe failed Christ the most? Who was the, 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 the disciple that made the greatest claims? Well, it was Peter. And he knew this. Peter seemed to lead a pack of easily distracted disciples. But he was the one with the biggest heart. And he had equally big failures. You think about, first of all, just kind of considering Peter, think about his humanity. All these circumstances, all these situations, we get a look at who Peter was. In Mark chapter 13, Peter mistakenly turns away little children. What a huge mistake. Christ corrected him. He said, no, these are the people I've come to. It's better that a millstone were hanged about your neck and you're cast in the depths of the sea. Then you hurt one of these little ones. Who is he talking to? Peter, trying to protect Jesus from the people he was here to serve, the people who he could impact the most, the people he cared about the most. That was Peter turning the children away. You know, in Matthew chapter 14, Peter sees Christ walking on the water. What does Peter do? If Jesus can do that, I can do that, right? And he jumps out and he starts taking a step. Christ calls him. He comes over to him on the water. And then he looks around like all of us do in the middle of a storm. And he quit focusing on Christ. The next thing he was sinking. And Christ had to pull him up. And he said, oh, just a little bit of faith. If you had the faith that you needed. He corrected him for his lack of faith. Because, man, he was so weak. He had such a big heart. So many intentions. Just like us but so little follow through. In Mark chapter 9 and chapter 10 and Luke 22, you read about it, it seems like the disciples, the three closest to Christ, were probably in a fairly intense ongoing dispute over who would be the greatest. I mean, put it in perspective, they thought they were the closest and they were. They were the disciples that Jesus focused on the most. And then amongst those three, it comes up multiple times in Scripture, Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to sit on the left? Who's going to be first? Who's going to be second? Yeah, Peter was in the middle of that. He had quite the ego. Mark chapter 9, verse 5, we're, we're talking about um, Jesus when he appears um, to the disciple, when, when God appears, and, and here he is on the Mount of Transfiguration with the disciples and Moses, and he says, wait a second, let's just build permanent structures and stay here. And we're going to accomplish a lot if we just stay here. This is really good. Let's not go anywhere else. I just want to stay here in Christ. I had to correct him again. In Matthew 16, verse 21, Christ is outlining this is what's going to happen. I've got to go and I've got to die. I have to pay for the sins of the world. And what did Peter do? He tries to tell Jesus, no, that's not for you. And what does Christ say? Get thee behind me, Satan. He, he rebukes Peter again. At the Last Supper, he refused to let Christ wash his feet. The list goes on. We get the idea. For as great a man as he was, he spent equal parts on the struggle bus. At the crucifixion, after promising that even if everyone denied Christ, he would stand strong, he was standing afar off. And in the end, 
he was reduced to cursing and denying Christ, denying that he knew him. That's the disciple that Christ confronts in this passage and ultimately charges with continuing his earthly ministry. That's the man that God points out here in this passage and, and intends to use. Peter's in Galilee, not really because of his lack of faith. He's been instructed to go to Galilee and wait. And in Galilee, what do the Galileans do? In Tiberias, what do the people in Tiberias do? Well, they fish. So here he's waiting between the first and second week and now further along and, and the week since the ascension. Maybe it's been a couple weeks now. He's in Tiberias, easily distracted. He's going fishing. So he's out there, him and six other disciples on a boat, doing what they know to do, doing what they're comfortable doing, but not catching fish. Christ had a, better pur a bigger purpose for Peter. Peter understood his limitations at this point. He wanted to follow Christ, but he probably didn't see much of a future. Just think for a minute. Where could Peter have possibly seen this future going with Christ? Everything he had said, everything he had, everywhere he put himself out, he found himself falling short. And Peter understood his limitations. He had been humbled. He had been humiliated. He had, he had stuck his foot in his mouth so many times. And he probably didn't see a whole lot of future for this ministry that he'd anticipated. But Christ saw past his limitation. Christ trusted the process that Peter was going through. He understood, wait a second, Peter, you're being humiliated. You're being humbled. But there's a process that I'm putting you through. There's a future here for you. This process would prove to be what Peter needed. So he calls out Peter. He calls out the group. They don't know who it is. He's standing on the shore and he calls out, cast your net on the other side. They've been toiling all night. They're fishermen. Maybe they were a little bit rusty and, and they knew that, but they were out there doing what they knew to do. And Christ says, hold on, calls out to him. He's prepared for him. He's, it's an encounter he's prepared for. He says, I've got a miracle. I want to prove something to you. I want you to see my power. I want you to understand your limitations. He tells him to cast the net on the other side. In verse 4 through 6, you read where it says in verse 4, but when the morning was now come of John chapter 21, it says, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered, No. He said, Cast your net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, now therefore they are not able to bring, draw in for the multitude of the fishes. Therefore that disciple, verse 7, whom Jesus loved, said unto Peter, Peter it's the Lord. You think about it, here, here John, he's the sensitive one, right? He's the one, wait a second here, this is miraculous. We just witnessed one of these things we're so familiar with, we call miracles. John was the one who was in tune with Christ. And Peter, man, he was excited about the fish. This is amazing. This is what we came out here to do. And he was just kind of caught up in the circumstances, pulling in this big group of fish. He was caught up with that. Then he realizes what happened. He realized just in that moment who initiated what just took place. And he couldn't contain himself. He forgot about the fish and he jumps into the water. And he's going to get to Christ as soon as he could. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm that way myself. 
Maybe my name is John, but I feel a little more like Peter in this case. I feel like I'm a little bit um, the last one to the party, a little slow to catch on. But you know, we can all consider ourselves in good company. Peter didn't immediately recognize what was taking place. He, he knew his circumstances had changed. He didn't understand the source. So now we see Peter. He's a human being. He's someone we can all relate to. But he's also a humble vessel that God can use. And that's what this story is about. That's what Peter's life is about. That's the place Peter had to come to. That's the place where God wanted him to be, where he could talk to him, where Peter would listen, where Peter could follow instruction, where Peter could follow through. Now, for you and for me, tonight we see our limitations, but often our limitations don't humble us and take us to that place where we can see more clearly what God wants to do with us and through us. Oftentimes, we just keep running into that same wall over and over and over again. And what's God doing? Every service, every time we read His Word, with friends and those that hold us accountable. And we're the recipients of God's love, just like Peter was. We're the recipients of His instruction. We're, we're the recipients of His humbling events. But are we responding like Peter did? Are we willing to humble ourselves and listen? Are we open to Christ like Peter was at this point? Peter was a humble vessel that God could use. And so now Christ challenges Peter with this unbelievable ministry he's going to entrust to his care. In verse 15 it says, So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. After dinner, Christ presents Peter with this challenge. He says, Lovest thou me more than these? What's he asking? Is he asking, Do you love me more than your friends that you were out fishing with? Is he asking him, Do you love your, me more than your family here in Galilee? Is he asking him, uh, more, or do you love me more than your occupation that you're so familiar with? The answer is yes. That's the same question Christ asks each, each of us. Do you love me more than this? Fill in the blank. Do you love me more than that? Fill in the blank. Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than your family? Do you love me more than your money or your entertainment or your clothes or your car or your hobbies or your games? Whatever it is, do you love me more than these? If we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to minister, if we're going to accept the ministry that God has for us today, we have to make that decision. We have to decide. We need to decide, do we love Christ more than these? And He challenges us with this. What's he asking? When we talk about love, we have one word in our language for love, but the Greeks didn't. They had three words for love. One was eros, which is a sensual love. That'd be the love we see depicted in movies. We see it depicted in our culture around us, a sensual love. There's phileo love. 
There's brotherly love, which was brotherly love. That's companionship and friendship. That's what, that's what we are today. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're companions. We're friends. We're um, fellow laborers. We care about each other. But then there was agape love, which is a selfless love. It's a love that's devoted to another's highest good. In 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it says, Now abideth faith, hope, love, and charity. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, or love. The greatest of these is charity. That's agape love. The greatest quality, the greatest character, the greatest virtue that Christ wants to impart to us as Christians is love for Him and love for others. It's a selfless love. It's an agape love. And He's asking Him, Simon, Son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Do you have an agape love for me? Do you love me more than anything else? Simon, can you say that to me, that you love me more than all the things that you've struggled with up to this point in your life, to love more than me? What did Simon say? He's a humbled man. What did Peter say? He's a humbled man. He's a man who's been through all these um, failures. He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love thee. I have a phileo love for you. I love you like a brother. I love you the best I can. Obviously, I've proven myself. I have nothing more than that for you. He says, Simon, what I want you to do, I want you to feed my little lambs. I want you to care about the people I care about. I want you to focus on the things that are close to my heart. He confronts him with this exclusive love, the love that he wanted him to have for others. I want you to shepherd my lambs. Round two, next verse. It says, He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith, Feed my sheep. What did Christ think of himself more than anything else? A shepherd. What do you say? The shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He says, I've come that ye might have life. I am the great shepherd. He explained all throughout the book of John the importance of the shepherd in the life of the sheep and how much that meant to him, how much he cared about his children. He's asking Peter again, Peter, do you have agape love for me? Peter, are you really willing? Would you? Would you consider putting me first? Would you consider putting me before everything else in your life? Making me truly your highest priority? Peter, would you consider that? What does Peter respond? He says, but Christ, you know me. But Christ, I've spent this time. But Christ, I've tried so hard. I've tried so many times. I've failed you so many times. You know I care about you. I have this phileo love. He, he's honest. He's a humbled man. He knows this is who I am today. This is all I've been able to do is, is love you on a really surf, superficial level. I, I haven't been devoted to you in the way that you're asking. I haven't been devoted in the way that you're requesting of me. What does he say? Take care of my lambs. The little ones, the ones you tried to shield me from in my early ministry. Just focus, Peter, on loving people. I know you're limited. I know you failed. But Peter, you can. You can have agape love for people. You can put me and others first. You can do this, Peter. Round three. 
He, he says, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? This time Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. He just takes it down a notch. And he says, wait a second, Peter. Do you even really love me as a brother? Peter, do you really have phileo love for me? You say you have that. But let me ask you, do you really? He says, because if you do, you'll feed my sheep. You'll feed my lambs. You'll, you'll carry on the ministry that I started here on this earth. Because Peter, guess what? You're all I've got. I'm leaving. And you're going to have all the power you need. You're going to have all the faith you need. I can provide that faith to you. You're going to have all the grace you need. You can do this, Peter, in my strength, in my ability. You can feed my sheep if you love me, Peter. And Peter was handed, he was given this responsibility. And for you and for me tonight as Christians today, Christ has entrusted his ministry that he started here on this earth to us. You know, you look at Peter. Peter wasn't much. He was a human being like us. He was someone God humbled, and we see he responded. And if you read the book of Acts, as we're studying, you see how God used Peter in amazing ways, with all his failures, all his limitations. Why? Because he faced his failure. He faced his limitations. And he accepted God's love, His forgiveness, and His grace. Pastor talked about it in the life of Stephen. Indomitable grace. Peter had it. His failures were not greater than God's grace. What God wanted to do in Peter's life was not overlooked, was not missed out on, was not accomplished because Peter just focused on all his failures and his shortcomings, which he knew about. And Christ is speaking to here in this passage. He's saying, hey, Peter, overlook yourself. This isn't about you. This is about me. How much do you love me, Peter? How much are you willing to follow me? Because I'm trusting you to do what's most important to me, and that's to feed my sheep. I'm the great shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I've given my life. And now I want you to carry on that ministry. I want you to feed my sheep. You know, Peter was looking at himself as a failure because he had failed big time. But that's not how Christ looked at him. He wasn't looking at him as a failure. He was looking at him as someone he wanted to trust. He wanted to commission, and he did, to carry on his mission. And for us, Christ doesn't look at us as a failure. We all have, big time. But Christ is entrusting his mission to us to carry on his mission. Christ wasn't looking at Peter as a coward because we all would say he was, just like all the other disciples. But when they came to terms with God's grace, they were over, able, to, able to overcome their fear. And they were entrusted. They looked at themselves as cowards. And we can look at ourselves as cowards. Because when it comes to witnessing, because when it comes to exercising our faith and doing the things we know God wants us to do, many times we're cowards. But God didn't put that label on Peter, and God doesn't put that label on you or me. He's entrusting his ministry to our care. He's entrusting us to shepherd those he loves. 
God doesn't look at us as failures. He doesn't look at us as cowards. He doesn't look at us as liars. Because we all could be accused of it. Peter could be accused in that moment of, Peter, you're the biggest liar I know. That's what Jesus could have said to Peter. But that's not what he confronted him with. He confronted him with his love. And, and the fact he wanted him to take his love and share that love with others. And he entrusted that ministry to Peter. He entrusted him to be a shepherd. And tonight, God wants to entrust us to be his shepherds. He wants to entrust us to carry on his ministry. He's asking us the same question. Are we, are we willing to love him more than these, all these other things? Hey, Peter hadn't proven anything up to this point other than his own shortcomings and his own failures. But Christ was about to ascend and the Holy Spirit was about to come in power and he was going to leave Peter and the other disciples behind. And a ministry an amazing ministry. He wanted them to follow his instructions. He wanted them to give his li their lives for the sheep. Just like he had given his life for the sheep, he wanted them to give their lives for his sheep. And us today, we're not much. None of us are. We can't claim to be much. Not in the presence of who Christ is. Or in the presence of what Christ wants us to do. We're nothing more than Peter's. We're nothing more than people who can look back at our own failures, our own shortcomings, our own weaknesses, our own lack of faith. But that's what, not what Christ uh, challenges us with. That's not what Christ is doing to us, for us tonight. He wants us to look forward to what He has for us. He just wants us to accept His love. Same love He had for Peter, a guy who had let him down big time. He wanted Peter to accept His love and share that love with others. And that's what he wants for us. That was his message to his disciples. That was his message to his followers. People who had been disappointed. People who had their hopes, their dreams, their visions of their own successes. They'd had all those things dashed and crushed. But what did Jesus do? He came and he met them right where they were at. He confirmed who he was. He strengthened their faith. And then he asked them to go out with a love for him and allow that to make a difference in the lives of others. And that's what Christ wants for us. He wants us to get past who we are and focus on who He is and what He wants to do in our lives. Stand with me tonight, if you would.